Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to an incredible episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. Today, we are speaking with Sarah May Hollinsworth. Sarah May is a wellness executive and entrepreneur, physical and spiritual fitness expert, double certified health coach and personal trainer, speaker, writer, and athlete. And you're in for one heck of an episode. Sarah May had over 20 years experience as a health and fitness expert and entrepreneur, She is a high-performance athlete and trainer who suffered a near-life-ending infection that landed her in life support and in a coma and ultimately caused her to have both legs amputated below the knees. Her story is one from rising from rock bottom and near death to rebuild her life better, stronger, healthier, and happier than before to repurpose her pain into power, purpose, and potential. She is committed to using her story to help others heal, thrive, and fulfill their God-given purpose. We talk about all things of understanding how your story is happening for you and how we are really being called into this savage surrender, healing generations of trauma, and how we are all forced to deal with the monsters that we have in our closets. This is an unbelievable episode, and I'm so grateful to have Sarah May on this show sharing her story with you. Welcome to the show today, Sarah May. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Me too. I want to dive into your story. I just want to ask a few quick questions so people can get to know a little bit more about you. Where are you from? I'm from Oregon. From Oregon. Oh, beautiful. Someplace I have not been yet. That is definitely somewhere I want to go. Do you have a book that has been impactful for you? Oh my gosh. So many. I like grew up in the library. I'm trying to think of one. You know what? There was a pivotal one for me, Mm -hmm. which is the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read that one. I was kind of at a point in my life where being invited to wake up a little bit. And I just remember grabbing that book and it really sent me off on a really powerful trajectory. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. That's, I like to ask that question because it's, there's so many people who listen, who create almost a library of different, different things. And there's so many books that hit us at very pivotal times in our life. I remember that one turned the light on because I came from like a more negative background and I always did my best to be positive and focus on that, but it, you know, we only know what our life experience has been. Right. And that was the, Oh, it doesn't have to be like this and I can change it. And this is how, wow. Yay. (laughs) So pivotal. That's amazing. I'm going to dive into that in a second. I love that you said that. Can I ask you when you said come from a more negative background, I know people can relate to that because like, I, I wouldn't say mine was, there was times it was negative, but it was very small 
thinking, small-minded thinking, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, for sure. I would say there's a lot of victim consciousness. And I think that's the collective on a large scale. And there's no, I, I hate saying that because there's no shame in that. Right. It's like, I think people only know what they know. And luckily my parents had turned a light on here and turned a light on there that really just gave me kind of like a flashlight to be like, I can change it. So maybe they didn't change things in and of themselves, but they kind of set me up to do that. So then when things came along, I was able to recognize them and really capitalize on it and change the story. There was a lot of addiction, mental health issues, things like that, abandonment, you know, things that really kind of validate victim consciousness. Right. And then I'm so grateful to have that because I easily could have fallen into that myself with my journey. A hundred percent. And I think that that's, I think it's so important as we talk about exactly what you said there, no shame. I am all about like, let's talk openly because the more we speak, then the less shame survives. And so then it has no power over us, but being in victim consciousness, there's something that's so powerful there of what you're saying. And I think Mm -hmm. that we can learn a lot about ourselves by being in that space. And I, I think if we're all honest, we have all been in that space. Oh, yeah. Right. Like we've all been sure, there. Sure. What is something that drives you and lights you up? You know what? It's so interesting. I really don't know how to define it, but from childhood, I think it's probably that my parents put me in counseling at a young age and different things like that. And I would be in the library getting biographies and autobiographies of people who have broken the cycle in their life. So (laughs) being, it's kind of a weird kid. I was like, let's break the cycle. And I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure, you know, kind of like we we are programmed by the time we're seven. Luckily they planted some seeds at an early age that were there that then sprouted throughout my life. So I just have had this understanding that thinking of our generational line, but then we're all connected as well. We're all interconnected. So I have a strong duty to do my part, to positively impact others and to have a better trajectory moving forward than the one I came from. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful. I love the fact that you talked about like biographies and breaking the cycle. And those are the things I loved as a kid. Mm -hmm. I loved like watching, you mean, that's a true story. And that is something that somebody overcame and they loved, like just seeing what people could overcome. So how I'm not sure what the what's the word right now. How almost serendipitous is that when you think of your own journey and what you have come through? So I would love it if you would share your journey with us. We'll dive into it in more details as we go, but I just would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, for sure. And feel free to ask questions because sometimes yeah. I skip some of the main points of it. But I have been a personal trainer my entire life, an athlete. Those are like from essentially childhood. That's just what I've done. Big part of my identity. And about 10 years ago, I was living and training in Dallas, Texas. I was in school for finishing my degree in sports psychology and kinesiology. I was preparing for a half marathon, another fitness competition. And I was working out with my clients. We were sprinting up stadium stairs. And I just remember like, I don't feel right. So I just didn't feel right. And I didn't I couldn't really name it because it wasn't something that I was familiar with. I knew I hadn't injured myself. I didn't necessarily feel sick. I just didn't feel okay. And I had a fitness show coming up in, I think it was like a week. It was the countdown. I had a friend coming from out of state to compete with me. And I just thought, I don't know. Like, I 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And I was just kind of waiting it out. The pain got so bad that I had low back and hip pain and it just kept getting worse and worse to the point that I was crawling around the house. Did you suffer from back pain and things before? No. no. Okay. No. Wow. So it just was very, that's why it was so hard for me to really know what, what I was experiencing. Cause it just wasn't normal for me mm-hmm. um, or a pain that I was familiar with because pushing myself as an athlete, I was pretty used to pushing through pain. So that didn't necessarily serve me very well in this experience. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But again, it was like, this isn't something I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And then when I couldn't walk and I was crawling as sad as it is to say it like this, it was like, Oh, I better go find out what's going on so that I can walk the stage in a few days and not like, Oh no, something's wrong with me. <laughs> and, and, and I just from even in this little bit of getting to know you, that's not an ego thing. That is a, like, I have something to do. I've got, mm-hmm. you know, this is the plans. Yeah. So let's just see if we can get this little thing fixed up so that I can be better in a couple of days. Totally. It was just kind of like a grit thing. I don't like backing out of anything. And so when I went in, they, and my memory's fuzzy during parts of this, cause it's when things were real bad. <laughs> but when I went in, they thought that I had had sciatica and I'm like, I just don't think so. But they gave me morphine for the pain. And then I was a little loopy and not in pain. So they sent me home And then I vaguely remember, it was like I was in and out of consciousness. I just remember sweating profusely. And then I think I told my boyfriend at the time I'm dying. And so they took me back into the ER and then I pretty much instantly crashed. Um, Almost right away, they put me on life support and in a medically induced coma uh, because my all systems were crashing. I had multi-system organ failure. And they didn't expect me to live. They pretty much told my mom and everybody to say goodbye, cross your, you know, cross your fingers and say your prayers. And so when I was in the coma, my blood pressure crashed, my kidneys were shutting down. I had a heart attack and MI and the medications that they pumped me full of to keep my blood pressure sort of stabilized. My blood pressure was focused to my brain and vital organs. So I lost it to my hands and feet. I was in a coma for two weeks. Again, just wasn't expected to live. And then I turned a corner one day and they were able to bring me out of it. I guess they'd tried a couple of times over the course of that and I couldn't sustain it. But then there was a point that I could. The coma was a crazy experience. I remember that really well. But when I came out of it, they basically were like, we're going to have to amputate your feet. And I had no clue what had just happened. So I was like, take a hike. <laughs> no, you're not. And what is going on? And I'm teaching boot camp tonight. I was so confused. They're busy. Like, I'm busy. I have things. Yeah, to do. I, it ended up being a really long journey. I was in the hospital for six weeks total. The coma was two. And then I was just trying to get back to being okay for the other four weeks. My body, I went in at like peak competition shape. Like I was probably 120 bloomed up to 160 left the hospital like 80 some. I mean, I I remember looking in the mirror when I got home, it looked like a death camp survivor staring back at me. And I was so, I mean, I went in like fitness model (laughs) shape and came out and was unrecognizable to myself. I had no grip on reality anymore. It was like, I've been dropped off in this nightmare and I 
am stuck here is what it was like. So to fast forward a really long journey, I underwent limb salvage for about a year. We were really trying to save my feet for obvious reasons. And just ultimately, I wasn't going to be able to have as high of a quality of life as I would have moving forward with amputation. So I had both of my legs amputated below the knees. And then when I went through that process, I told the surgeon, I said, I'm really concerned because I ha- I still have such severe hip pain and I'm not willing to take enough medications to help with the pain because I don't want to become dependent on the medication and any movement makes it a lot worse. And so he's like, let's take a look at your hip. Cause I kept telling everybody about my hip, but people just were like, that's the least of your concerns. And so when he finally looked at it, he's like, I think that's where the infection originated. What this all, they couldn't do any, um, diagnostics on my body because I couldn't really handle it. They just had to keep me alive. Their best guess. I definitely had septic shock and I had MSSA, um, which is like MRSA, but a different form. And so I, my, essentially my blood was poisoned and. Wow. I was actually, cause I was wondering what it was like, mm-hmm. what created that. And then to be in the space of, you know, everything happening so fast That moment though, where you felt like I'm dying and I have to go to the hospital. Was that a moment where it was like, this is, I have to do this now. Something is wrong. Oh yeah. I mean, I quite frankly was dying. You know, I definitely don't know what that feels like. That was my first experience with it. But for someone who always pushed past pain, it was like, this isn't that like, this is I'm, I'm dying and something has to be done immediately. And honestly, if I'd tried to sleep it off through the night, I, I would have died. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have made it. And mm-hmm. so then for the next, so they didn't amputate for another year after that. Is that correct? Yeah, it yeah. was, there were so many moving parts, uh, cause yeah. I underwent hyperbaric treatment to try and save them, but I was also in an extremely toxic relationship. So I was also, I had this, like, I need to get out of that to save my own life in a whole nother level. <laughs> and so part of it was, cause I was living in Dallas, Texas at the time. My parents had been there, but they'd moved back to Oregon. And I had this, like, I need to leave him and I need to get back and be near family before I move forward and take care of everything. So part of it was prolonged from my life where I was at. Mm-hmm. And then part of it, I was trying to do the limb salvage. So I was in a wheelchair for about a year, year and a half. And then they did all the other surgeries and on my legs. And then I had to have my hip replaced twice so once they found that that's where the infection started. So it was just like one thing after another. The same hip was replaced twice. Mm -hmm. They did it in two surgeries because they were so afraid that there was latent infection in there. So they did a partial, they, then I had to do a ton of antibiotics for a period of time. Mm -hmm. Then they went in and did the official surgery. Wow. Do you ever remember having an injury that you fell in the hip, anything afterwards? Like, do I remember what maybe could have contributed to it? Yeah. Looking back and it's so, again, I feel like I'm out of touch with pain, so it's hard to really quantify it. Right. But I do always remember having, it felt like bone on bone in my right hip. It wasn't like this is really concerning pain and I need to stop. And it held me back. I just remember feeling like, wow, that's really grindy. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, I could leg press like 900 pounds. I've just always been a brute. (laughs) And so I'm sure there was a way more wear and tear for my age 
then was reasonable. And it was just kind of like that. I just remember it being clicky and a little grindy and a little uncomfortable, but Mm -hmm. I, I mean, and I didn't know, I don't know if people know this, but I didn't know pain could mean infection in a hip bone. Like I just didn't even think. So it was more like, Oh, I'm tight. I maybe need to stretch or, you know, something like that, but nothing registered as this is something I should be concerned about. It's, it's funny because pain. And I think that, um, so many of us on just for a second in, you know, we're, we push, we're, we're hardworking women. We, we love fitness. We do these things and you just keep going. And mm-hmm. I, I had, a, it was, it's nowhere near where you went through. Um, but it was a year and a half ago. I started to have this toe like numbness that I couldn't feel it. And they kept saying, well, maybe just sciatic it's age and all these things. Mm-hmm. And long story short, that took time because of course I'm with the pandemic, everything kept getting put off and put off and put off until I could barely, at one point, my husband's like, I'm taking you to the hospital. Like you, I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. Wow. And I'm like, I know I'm strong in pain, like pushing through, but something doesn't feel right. And then literally it was like, they did the MRI. And by the next morning they called and they're like, you need to be back in the hospital right now. And apparently I had, they said, did you ever fall? I'm like, yeah, like 51 years old. Yes. I have fallen before. (laughs) And so they were like, did you ever have a big fall? I'm like, I did when I was 15. And um, I remember playing fastball and I went to go catch one. And I went through one of those snow fences. If you remember what a snow fence is and Mm -hmm. was unconscious for a bit, but got up, played, pushed through, kept going. But the base of my spine where it meets in the pelvis had broken and it was a blood mass. So there was literally for years, there was nothing balancing there. They're like, well, have you had back pain? I'm like, yeah. Like just yeah, yep. so <laughs> just did it right. So they ended up completely rebuilding my spine wow. in the bottom part, and it was just this thing of they're like, you should have said something. Like it was just back pain. Where there's always that point where it's like, I know this is something more now. Like I know this something is not right now because this is I can't work through this, and yeah. and that's that mindset. But it is, it's it's tough. It's great to be have the grit and resiliency, but it mm-hmm. can actually come at a downside. Oh, yeah, yeah. It can become malignant, like any of our things, if we're out of balance can. And that is something that I'm grateful to have learned. (laughs) I try to be very wise about because I'm like, I do love some of those qualities about myself. I can take them too far. I'm wired that way. (laughs) A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So as you go through, and I love that you made a reference to that. And thank you for sharing that. Having Mm. a toxic relationship, so Mm. many people can relate to this. That's not like many people can relate to this. But as you went through those transformations and that growth and trying to just understand this new normal for that first year to year and a half, and then you had to actually make changes like in not just physical, but emotional like changes in your life. Were those, was it, was it easier to make some of those decisions because you knew that you needed to make changes or what, what was that like for you knowing that you had to make changes with the people you were around or what was in your life, because you were just really at the start of what your next part of your journey was going to be like. Yeah. I'm so grateful. Cause I had a good, I would say I've always been in personal development, right. But definitely like a solid decade nice. prior. So I had so many tools at the ready. It's like, I was given the information, the skills I would need ahead of the actual challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought my life was a challenge. And then it was like, oh, just kidding. This is like graduate level challenge. 
But in that, there was a lot of shame because I was like, I knew better than to end up in a relationship like this. Like I knew better and I had so much shame around it that there was a period of time. It was kind of like I was double-minded. Like I knew I'd contributed to the things that had happened to me, Mm -hmm. but I was terrified of owning that, right? There was this like, oh no, because then I'm to blame, which nobody's to blame. I don't even believe in that, but it was that type of, you know, we wrestle with that. And it's that whole, what's the quote? I'm going to butcher it, but it's like the cave you fear to enter has the answers you seek. I think Mm -hmm. that might actually be it. I think that's it. It was that I was like, I know, I know that I consciously and unconsciously made choices that led me here. And while I'm terrified, I know there will be a moment in time. And there was when I choose to own that and take radical responsibility so that I can take my power back. And that's where that healing and freedom, I wanted to be free and I wanted to heal. So I eased my way there. And then it was like, I accepted it and I owned it so that I could fully free myself and move forward. And that is, that was a beautiful and painful and still journey. You know, it's a constant journey. Of course, there's moments where I want to beat myself up or, you know, any of it. And I breathe through it and work through it. You know, it's just, we're humans. It's a journey. hundred percent. It is a journey. And I, and I thank you for saying that you're saying all the words that like ring true and everything I talk about here is like, it's the ownership, it's the choices. And it's funny because even the word ownership for some people, it's even triggering in the sense of how can I own that? Because that's not, I didn't make that happen. And it's like, but we can always control and choose how we respond and what we do and who we surround ourselves with. Mm -hmm. And if we're surrounding ourselves with people who are not serving us, then it's on us to change that. So I just, I thank you for sharing that because you were coming into probably some of the most challenging work. Can I say that after? Yeah. 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 For sure. And there's that several levels deep to get to, I created this in my life again, consciously and unconsciously, largely unconsciously, obviously, because we wouldn't ever consciously (laughs) choose it. But, you know, just knowing again, with some of the work and the growth that I'd done beforehand, that we store emotions in our body. Mm -hmm. And I was in a pressure cooker, like an instant pot of toxicity externally in my life. I mean, it was bad. It was very, very bad. And because of my ability to grin and bear it, I just stood there and grinned and bared it. It was like I was in a house that was on fire and I wouldn't walk out of the house. Mm -hmm. And so I know that all of that, that pressure cooker went into my body. And so whatever was going on in my hip or any of that was probably fertile ground for the toxin for it to all just combust. And that's what happened. Like I knew when I came out of it, cause it was just a word picture. It was like, what happened to me externally is what had happened to me internally mm. prior to ever getting to here in my physical body. And it was, I just knew that. And it was so painful, but it was honestly the thing like getting a little emotional that gave me the ability to accept and forgive myself. Cause I saw it's like I stood outside of myself and saw myself for how broken, because my identity is in my strength. I'm definitely strong. I, I have always been, but also uh, there's also places in me that were weak or broken or any of that. And so there was that moment where I was able to look at the brokenness of myself and was just like, I'm so sorry. 
the house sound, right? It's like looking at someone who we can beat ourselves up, but then you see someone who's in their most broken and vulnerable place. And you're not going to beat that person up unless you're a monster. Right. Right. So there was just this, like, no one else is here to hold me and accept me and comfort me. I, I have to do it. The job is mine. And so I just had that coming home to myself and picking myself up and loving myself back to like a healed and a free place. Cause I couldn't believe where I had gotten, but I needed love to get out of it. That is so, thank you for sharing all of that because I know how much that will resonate with people because I think even nowhere's near some of the challenges that you have come through. If we think about who we are surrounding ourselves with on a regular daily basis, we are the product of the five people that we spend our time with. And I see that in all areas, right? In all areas, we can all see that. And I think especially in a time that we have been coming through right now, that is so incredibly important because you can get swallowed up by toxic news, people, hate, anger. Like it doesn't even matter what your opinions are anymore. I mean, there's always someone who is going to shout an opinion at you that you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't even know you. And, and be like, what happened? Why are you so angry? I didn't even say anything, but it's just this energy. So I think we have to be incredibly conscious of what we are surrounding ourselves with. Absolutely. So as you have come through the surgery and the amputation, how many years ago is that now currently? So I almost died March, 2012. I had the amputation surgeries, November, 2013. And then I had the hip replacements summer of 2014. Okay. Physically, what was it like out of coming through, like coming through those surgeries? How just share anything with us that. Yeah, it was the most extreme pain (laughs) that I could ever even describe, you know, it was like mind bending pain. Mm -hmm. And I just knew I had to process it incrementally. Like I said, there's addiction in my background. So I knew, okay, if I want to take medication so that all the pain goes away, I could go this way and I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And so I was very intentional about incrementally taking the pain. It was like, I just had to let myself have a little more and a little more and a little more as I weaned off. Cause I, I weaned off way sooner than doctors necessarily want me to wean off. But I was like, I would like to be free. And I know, and I know too, like a lot, a lot of our physical pain. I mean, of course I've lost my legs, had my hip replaced. That's real physical pain, but I would say most of our pain is emotional and mental too. Like the lingering pain, some of the chronic pain, again, it's that unprocessed pain that gets stored in our bodies. Mm -hmm. So I was very intentional about doing the deeper work that allowed that a lot of acceptance work, just mourning, grief, all of it that really allowed me to become free from the physical pain. But it was very tough. And I learned to give myself a lot of grace That's from beautiful. that journey. That's beautiful. Yeah, because I've always demanded of myself, right? And I couldn't. I was like, I just have to give you whatever you need and you take as long as you need to get through this. And I just have to love and accept myself through it. I went, there was no way I could demand anything out of myself at that point. I think that's even more powerful being somebody who did rely on grit so much in their life that it's almost a case of, you didn't have a choice. You were forced to, this is, I guess I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to give myself that time and space. And 
we can't measure that work. Like if you're doing physical, I mean, you have kinesiology background. I was 28 years as a kinesiologist. So if, yeah, so, so, you know, you know how to improve strength and layer on what you have to do and all of the things, but there comes a point that it's the things that you're doing on that subconscious level to, you know, forgiveness and healing and acceptance of where you are they are even far more powerful. You can't quantify Uh, them. It's not like a number of reps of something that you've done. (laughs) Right. But you, but they're so much more powerful. Right. Wow. Okay. So 2014 we're healing, you're getting, you're working on Mm -hmm. getting stronger. What does the last five to six years look like for you? It took me some time to get back to fitness. I avoided that. (laughs) I definitely avoided it because that's where the grief was for me. Like there was this, it was almost like I had to let myself go in a lot of ways. And that was easier. It was coming back to myself and reintegrating from a new place that was so much harder for me. And I had never been, I was again, an athlete since childhood. So I had never had to start at the bottom, specifically not in my physical body. And I, everything that I've done as an athlete, I do it by feel, right. It's like, I know what it feels like. And so having to feel my way through something that nothing felt right. And being, cause I remember laying on my side, doing like a clamshell leg lift without my prosthetics on. So like half my leg and I could only get like an inch of movement. And it felt like I was lifting a Mack truck. And I just was like, how the hell <laughs> Am I ever going to get back to where I was if I am here? Mm-hmm. And again, I did not have the sport system. I didn't have the mental, emotional. I was like in such a fragile place that it just felt like the impossible. So it took me a good amount of time to get back in the gym. But interestingly enough, when I did, that is when the like rocket ship of breakthrough happened. Cause again, that it's all that muscle memory. I've put so much work in there. It paid off in dividends. I cannot believe I'm still humbled. And I'm so grateful that I've spent my life investing in my health the way that I have, because once I finally took that first step, I just got so much. It was quick for me in a lot of ways. And I was shocked like that. The physical part was so, this is crazy to say, but so much easier. (laughs) It's like no legs. And that part was easy. That was so much easier, Mm -hmm. honestly, than the mental, physical, spiritual, emotional part of it. It's, it's funny. Again, you have the background, you have the knowledge, you've spent your life in fitness. Your body has great muscle memory. Like, you know what to do. And so I think when you step back into that space, the brain's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We, I know, I understand this and we can do this. And, but the other side where it is that letting go resentment, anger, frustration, toxic, it's, I don't want to say it's touchy feely stuff, but it's so different from the grit, but it's so important yeah. for the grit, yeah. right? It's so important. Totally. It's challenging. It's challenging. But I, I just, I love that you're sharing this because I think that when it comes to this kind of story, so many people are caught up in the, but how did you do it? And to hear mm-hmm. you share how important and big that other component is, mm-hmm. I think it's really, I think it's really, really important. For sure. That was definitely more valuable than the physical, which again, ironically, this was a physical journey Mm -hmm. (laughs) on 
the surface level. You know, it was all the other stuff that I'd avoided my whole life because that's where it was less comfortable that ultimately sabotaged my life. Right. So it honestly felt like I was a runner and I would run obviously physically, literally, but then I was a runner from the pain, the emotional pain that. And so it was like when I didn't have the ability to physically run, I had to sit with the other stuff and I couldn't run from the other stuff either. It was like the only way out is through. And so I finally went through and then it was like, as I got through, then I felt like I could pick up and run again. Cause I no longer was avoiding the other stuff. So it's just been such an interesting, ironic journey. I'm like blown away. I love the analogy. I think the analogy is just exactly what you just said is so powerful, really, that you just, you couldn't run from it. Oh, so as you started to get stronger and as you started to feel like, oh, I know these feelings and I want to get, like, I want to keep getting stronger. I mean, I know from your documentary, cause I've watched it, but then uh-huh. CrossFit comes back up into the, like, and I've been, yeah. I, was, I mean, I was, my husband is actually, I showed him your video. He is a master's mm-hmm. competitive CrossFit. That is awesome. Yeah. So I was just showing him and we were talking about it. I did CrossFit for probably three ish years before my surgery. And Mm -hmm. now my, just my workouts have changed, but I'm still do. I still love so many aspects of it. I love that push the, and you know, partner wads and barbells and whatever it is. I love it. So it's a big part of me, but where did CrossFit come into the equation? Was CrossFit in there before or no? Oh, and I being the trainer, I like to be in control. (laughs) Yeah. So there was this, I don't know how to CrossFit. (laughs) And it, I just finally was like, I need help. This was a place where I was still vulnerable and trying to do it by myself, even though I mentally knew what to do. Mm -hmm. I needed help, like someone walking through it with me. I needed a community of people to walk it through. And I knew that they were pretty you know, I'd seen a lot of adaptive athlete crossfitters and stuff. So I knew that it was pretty friendly to that. And I think it gave me a little bit of courage to finally walk through the doors. I just needed to get out of my head and get back in my body. Cause there was still this fear. Cause I pushed myself really hard, but that's also who I am. So if I'm someone who doesn't get to push myself hard, I'm like a neutered version of myself. And that is where I felt like I got stuck and it, it killed my spirit. There was a part of my spirit that needed to be reignited. And when I walked through those doors, it did it because I got to slam weights around and I got to do like, there were so many movements where I was like, "Ah." again, they're me, they're who I am. But Mm -hmm. the new me had been afraid to try it because I'd been told like, you push yourself too hard. There's all these different things. And it was like, that actually wasn't really the big issue. It was all the other emotional stuff that I've talked about that were really the problem. So it was kind of like, I had the support and the courage to bit by bit do the movements that I was afraid to do on my own that just brought me back to life in a really powerful way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that you shared all that. I think as I, when I look back, like coming back from a kinesiology background, when I was first thinking about going to CrossFit at that point, even five years ago, it had a lot of like negative connotations about, you know, bad form and pushing and it's all, all wrong. But as I really embraced it, and it's a big part of our life, I look at it and like, you can modify anything, you can change anything. And the community probably was something that was very important for you at that time, even though you didn't maybe even realize that it was 
first times you start walking in, then you're just starting to learn and grow and try some different things. So I just, I love that you stepped into that ring. Are you still in CrossFit now? Cause I've seen a couple of your recent videos. Yeah. 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 I still do. Um, it is funny. It's still great. It's still the work though. Cause there are, I'm wired to push myself too far. So it's that, okay, let me push myself, but let me also listen to and honor my body. Mm-hmm. And what I have noticed, cause I was doing it competitively, there's not necessarily an even playing field yet. Like there's so many dynamics within the adaptive community where I'm like kind of the only bilateral athlete. So when competing against someone with their leg, it's just not going to be even for me. So Mm -hmm. what was happening is I was pushing myself too hard to try to compensate for the not even playing field to where I knew in those moments I was disregarding my boundaries and what was good for my body. So I was injuring myself. I got a concussion. There was like some things. So I I'm not saying I will never compete again, Mm -hmm. but I'm like it's I don't think it's set up to be healthy for me to compete right now. So I'm just doing it for fun, still grow and push my boundaries and get better, but without the competition looming issue. Completely understand. I know that person, I'm just looking up his name. I know the person who has created the programming for the games, for the adaptive athletes and Mm -hmm. is somebody that my husband has connected with. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges being, they said as much as they want to grow the adaptive community, it's just too hard to match up very fair comparisons. If you're putting people in different pools and how it works. Mm -hmm. So I know that that was something that he said. So, yeah. And you know what? I mean, I did do, I did a couple of competitions not pretty at all, very (laughs) humbling, but I did it for myself. And then I think that's as long as in perspective wise, what the purpose is, Mm -hmm. is different, but I do understand it. And it's hard if you're a very competitive person. I'm a competitor. (laughs) Big time, big time. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, and and it's so easy, right? If a person isn't, they're like, well, why, why can't you just do it and have fun? I'm like, I I don't know how to turn that switch off. It's like the, yeah. The switch is always on it's on. And it's, Mm -hmm. and so I've learned over time to really embrace that other side of myself so that I, you know, I, I want to play a long game and want to be stronger and all those things. Right. So we don't have to, to do that. So as you have come through and really over the last couple of years, what are the, what are some of the other things that you have learned about yourself or through this process? I know you shared in the early, how you had to go through all of the pieces of acceptance and letting go. And Mm -hmm. do you still have to work through some of those things or what does it look like now? Oh yeah. It's just like peeling an onion, right? Like there's just forever. You're like, Oh, it's kind of like you realize there's themes about yourself mm-hmm. and you get familiar with the themes so that you kind of know what you're working with in different dynamics and different stages. So it's always like, Oh, this theme is coming up again. And what am I meant to learn from it? How am I meant to evolve from it? And just being, it's kind of like, it's so weird because we are co-creators of our life. Right. But then it's also like, we're witnesses to it. It's like, we're watching a movie and we're writing the movie and we're acting. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just such an interesting experience, but I would say a big thing that I've learned about myself and just us as a human race in general is that we're really capable of far more than we understand, like far, far, far more. And I for sure limited myself prior. And it's definitely something I can still easily do, Mm -hmm. but I'm really trying to just 
take the governor off and just go for it in all, all ways and all aspects. I love that. Absolutely love that. We definitely are so much more capable of things mm-hmm. than we realize. Mm-hmm. So what's in store for you now? What are some of the things that you're excited about doing now? And I know we'll make sure that your documentary is like, we have a link in there, but awesome. that's pretty powerful to watch. Like that must've been quite the experience. It was, it was a really, it was a healing experience to record it. I think I was terrified when my friend was like, will you do this? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, yes, I've learned to say yes. And then it was honestly super healing. And it actually is excited to me where I'm like, I would like to film like my own project, a fuller, full one at some point, um, writing my book, which books have been, I love that we started talking about that because that's been the school that I've gone to like life school and they've played such a pivotal role. And when this happened, I remember at the very beginning laying in my bed because I had these huge, hard casts on my legs that I can't even explain how horrible they were, but just laying there in excruciating physical pain and mental, emotional pain, and just having victim consciousness popped up and come on, I can totally validate that for myself or anyone else. When you're in it, of course, it felt like, why the hell is this happening to me? Like, that's real. (laughs) That is real and worthy, like truly. But I also just had that moment and I thought of my dad and other people that I've maybe seen go through really hard things and get stuck, stuck in victim consciousness and what that looked like. And I saw people get bitter and lose more than the original loss was even worth because they went that route. And I had that moment of like, I can't control anything right now. (laughs) Nothing feels in my control. But I do get to choose what I do with this, how I journey through this. And it was like, I really believe that this is happening for me and I get to stand in that decision. And again, it's a moment by moment, day by day, still to this day. I still, I think it's so important people know that I still so often feel why the hell is all this happening to me? I mean, I'm, there's part of me, if I'm being honest, I'm pissed. The world Please be honest. (laughs) Not awesome right now. Right. And I'm like, I've worked through so much and I feel like it's time for redemption in my life. And there's a lot of these things coming full circle. And I'm like, the world looks like a dumpster fire and I'm pissed (laughs) that it is while things are great for me. Like there's that, you know, there's so much of that. Like life is just what it is and we do our best, but it's so freaking important to decide how we will use it and decide to be in the driver's seat and make whatever, use all of it for our good, but we have, we get to decide that's so powerful because if we don't choose that, and if we are on like autopilot and we stay unconscious, if we stay unconscious through what's going on right now, we're going to end up wherever the road takes us, but we need to decide what our North star is. And like, whatever this is stirring up in you, whatever this is shutting light on to let it and to engage with it because we're all waking up in different ways and different levels. And you know, it sucks waking up. People sucks. Like it hurts. <laughs> it feels like if you're not a morning person and you're in bed and you're cozy and it's warm and you're just like so content. And then someone comes in and puts all the lights on and loud music. And they're like, wake up. 
That is what, that's the real, we need to be so honest about that. (laughs) That's what waking up feels like. And I can completely understand people who don't want to. And I completely understand that right now. There's so many people that are like, why is everyone screaming? And why is it so bright? And what is going on? This is waking up. Welcome. I'm dying over here just because I could just visualize it. And I think you just did probably one of the best descriptions of what is actually happening right now. It's like like, all these people are trying to sleep in (laughs) Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. So I just, I, that actually caught me off guard because it's such a great example. I remember being in the moment when my story where we were dealing with, with teen substance abuse, like addiction. I we've, I've been part of addiction, seen it my, my family for years. And I remember the turning point when I realized that like, I spent everything I could to try and fix everything around me. And all of a sudden it was like, none of this is working. Like it's, it's actually nothing is working and this isn't about me anymore. And I can't fix this. And I actually have to take ownership for myself. In a, in a quick way, I can say it took a long time to get to that point, but I also know that it also happened quickly. Once you make that shift, understand the victim consciousness, it doesn't mean I don't have, like I had some shitty days last week for no real reason, just frustrated with me, maybe too many lights and music going on. I don't know. But I I can say like the moments that would typically knock me out for days, weeks on end before mm-hmm. they're blips, they happen, yeah. they're moments and it's okay. And you forgive yourself and you do those things, but there's a lot of heavy energy. And I really find that when I can get back into the driver's seat of remembering that I still can choose how I respond. I can still mm-hmm. choose what I do. I can still choose how I like what actions I take today. That's all on me. It's all on right. me. And if that means today is actually a nap and I don't need to push oh, myself, no. that's okay too. Like it's, yeah. those are all things that have taken me many decades to learn. <laughs> I call, I love what you described and I have a word for that. Cause I'm so similar. It's like, I try everything, everything, everything until I'm so exhausted. I like can't lift my arms. I call it savage surrender. I don't ever surrender. So powerful. We know that I don't have this like beautiful namaste surrender. I swing my arms until I can't swing anymore. And then I'm laying there in what I call savage surrender. I think we could get along, actually. I I was like, I get you. (laughs) Well, in surrender, and I want this to land for people too. I thought surrender was this like, I quit mentality. Yeah, weak. You're like, what What are you doing? Not weak. Right. (laughs) Why'd you set the bar down? Pick it up. It's like, no. Setting the bar down is just as, if not more powerful than picking it up, knowing when to set it down, when to lay down. That's like, instead of operating in our own strength, understanding that whatever you choose to identify it with God, you know, universe, all of that, we're, we are highly supported. I still, that's probably my greatest struggle is recognizing that I'm supported and working in relationship to co-create. I still work from a small space a lot of times because growing up, that's what it felt like, like I'm on my own. So mm-hmm. I still operate from that consciousness and the surrender is what always reminds me. There's so much more here for me than the little bit I can do and can control in my own strength. And having said that, that's the most powerful thing we can do is what we can control, but to also open up to the support that is outside of us that is so much greater 
Mm-hmm. I, there's so much there that you said. I love the analogy of like thinking of putting the bar down because again, back to barbell, mm-hmm. but being part of the surrender. It's not about what you can't do. It's about knowing what do you actually need to do? Like, what do you actually totally. need to hold on to? What do you actually need to try and manage and control? And mm-hmm. again, I think, I just think this past year and a half has really shone a spotlight on what is working in our life, what is not working. And as you described it, right, it's waking us up and we're seeing all these things, which is stirring up so much in a lot of people. And for a lot of people that makes them very, very uncomfortable. I did a video last week that said that if you are so triggered by someone's response online, first thing before you even respond, I want you to ask yourself, would you ever say those words to a person's face? Because if you wouldn't say it to their face, like put your phone down and walk away. Because I'm seeing people bicker and argue in ways that is just not our highest version at all. Right. Yeah. Totally. And I think too, what's going on for people. Cause I just, as you were talking, like reverted back to what my experience was like, and it's kind of like the monsters in the closet. (laughs) Like we keep them in the closet and we're like, it's fine. There's no monsters in the closet. That's makeup. And then when you realize, no, there's a ton of monsters in the closet, like in our own, it's that shadow work. If people are familiar with that concept and that word that come out and it's like, you can no longer keep them in the dark, they're out. And that's what we're experiencing. And people have this, like, I don't want to believe that's true about myself or about our society or whatever. And it's like, no, we're seeing all the monsters running havoc Mm -hmm. and there's this need this call to like love accept forgive all of that and we do that work when we do it within ourselves. it translates to outside of us and that's people want to fight outside of themselves to avoid the inner work it's like it is a manifestation or reflection of some stuff that's in us it was like I said I identify with my strength well there was also very weak parts of me that mm-hmm. led me to that and I didn't want to identify as having weakness right and brokenness no way I ignored and avoided that monster for a long time until I didn't really have a choice and again the only way I was through to get to the other side to get to be set free and made whole was to love and excel love and accept and then integrate that part of myself Mm -hmm. and be aware of it. Like we said, those themes of like, okay, is this thing running the show right now? When you start to see that, like that will be a constant work. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. Like, honestly, Um, as you continue to grow and show up in the ways that you're doing and what you're doing now, what impact do you want to continue to have in the world? Like what is so important on your heart that, you know, that is what you are here to do now. Again, it's like, I've been consciously working to break cycles and heal generational trauma as long as I can remember. So I do like, if I had to decide one reason that I was alive, it's that. And so that's very much what I want my book to be, you know, any speaking that I do and things like that. I really want my desire (laughs) is to help people not have to get to the wake up call that I had to right? like, let's wake up before it gets as bad. And that's kind of what I think we're experiencing now on a global level. It's like, how much worse do you want things to get before we'll wake up? Like, trust me, it can get a lot worse. There were so many smaller wake up calls that I refused to wake up for prior 
mm-hmm. to the very extreme painful wake up call I had. So again, I have grace for people that are not wanting to wake up, but I'm also like, please wake up <laughs> please. before it gets any worse. So in my book and in things like that, I would like to help people heal. I would like to help them wake up before it gets any worse in their lives and to just kind of turn on the light in their consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then again, I've just always been a warrior. So I have a passion uh, to work with veterans. That's something that I've done. It's been the most rewarding thing that I've done. So continuing that work as well. Those are the two things that really light me up. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I saw you were doing, was it in the last week that there was a couple of different hero wads that you were doing that were, yeah. And for anybody yeah, who's familiar yeah. with what a hero wad is, can you just yep. share? Yeah, it's again, um, it's not necessarily only CrossFit, but CrossFit is really big on that and it honors, you know, fallen veterans to often combat wounded. So I did the Heroes of Kabul, I think it was for the 13 fallen here recently, which was really emotional. And then we did the 343 for the 343 firefighters lost on September 11th. Usually I think typically there's like Friday wads or often like hero wads and different things like that. And we lost a friend of mine a year ago on Wednesday. So I'll be doing one on Wednesday to honor him. Oh, wow. Wow. I think that's, that is such a a big part. Yeah, you're right. Not just CrossFit at all, but that community base of really, yeah, I watched on Saturday, they did the 9-11, they did a number of different ones. And I mean, it is just, it's just packed because people want to, we're still in many COVID protocols right now, but we definitely, you can see how many people want to be there and just pay tribute in any way, shape or form. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So where's the best place for people to reach out, connect, follow you, get to know more about you? Uh, Instagram is really good. It's at the T-H-E Sarah May. I'm sure you'll put that on there. Um, there. I have my link tree. So it's like all the different ways to connect with me. And then Sarah May Hollinsworth on Facebook. Those are the two main places I am. You might find me elsewhere, but that's where I'm most active. Nice. And as you start to, you've mentioned a few times working on your book, is that your next big project that you are going to be diving into? Yeah. That's something that I'm working on right now. Awesome. Awesome. It's a big job, but I've done, yeah. Oh, that I realized first of all, I think there's more than one book. So that's the struggle that I'm having is like, okay, what's the first book? What fits here? What fits elsewhere. And then I'm a sprinter by nature. That was where I was the strongest. My family was long distance and even ultra. And I'm like, this is, feels like I'm running a marathon. So (laughs) it's sharpening that skill, but so was my journey. It really gave me a lot more endurance than I had had before. So just sitting down and doing the work and enjoying it. Beautiful. I can't wait to see that. And I know, I know it's a, it's a process and I'm so passionate about books because I like you, that's really how in some of my early days, that's how I learned and and yep. my own personal growth was just, you know, $15 books, $20 books. Totally. Say, I can't afford to hire a coach. I'm like, there's yeah. a lot of free oh. and very low cost information that you can use to get started in any change Absolutely. in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Books can be so pivotal. hundred percent. I've loved everything in this conversation. There's so many things that I cannot wait to go back and listen. And oh yeah, it's so good. Can I ask you my last question is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Oh, wow. That's a good one. 
again, I just, I just have to go back to everything's happening for us. And even in saying that it sort of pisses me off (laughs) because again, I still am like, wow, I had to take that. It took this to like, this is what I needed. So just to validate, because I think the whole collective is there for the most part right now. Like why this, why is it this bad or whatever, but just to really be willing to choose that it's happening for you as hard as it is. Mm -hmm. And own that and create your life from that place. Cause you're going to have, first of all, it's happening regardless. Like this is happening. You can't change that, <laughs> but you can decide what you do with it. So you might as well do empowering things with it. Thank you for sharing that. And anybody who's listened to the show for a period of time will know how funny that is in a sense that you said that, because I have referred many times that happening for me in my early stages, when people would say that to me, it was so triggering. It pissed me off. Oh, totally. <laughs> Like if you tell me this is happening for me, like who would ask for this? And totally. now when something goes wrong, my, one of my mm-hmm. first reactions is like, how is this happening for me? What is happening mm-hmm. next? Like what is, because it's just a mindset thing, but I do know the four can be a real trigger, a real oh, trigger. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think too, like when we're in it, it's hard. I mean, it's powerful. If when you're in it, you can get there just out of your willingness and your free will but also just understand that it's not going to necessarily obviously look and feel that way. And it's okay to be pissed, but you can still choose it while you're pissed mm-hmm. that it's happening for you. And you will throughout the journey be like, Oh, yep. Oh, yep. I mean, it'll, it's still unfolding. I still am pissed when I hear it's happened for me, but I'm also still know it and choose it. And I still continue to understand why mm-hmm. it happened for me and how it happened for me. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Honestly, it has been my pleasure to have you here today. I cannot wait to continue to cheer you on and share this episode with everyone. Me too. It was so amazing talking with you. You're awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.